You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. You know, often I think when we talk about, we're talking during the worship and there's some words about um, laying things on the altar, and we often think about this as like in church terms or in Christian circles that we, you know, we lay our bad things, we lay our sin, we lay our shame and our guilt, and we put those things on the altar and God burns them up and we're left. But you know, the actual biblical picture of the altar is that God wants us to put ourselves on the altar. It's not just the stuff that we don't want anymore. It's actually all of us that we die to ourself and our own desires and our own, our own ambitions to live for him. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. I just was challenged by that as we were worshiping and glorifying God. Last week, we started a series um, that we're calling Simple Faith. And in this series, we're unpacking um, just some, founda- some foundational, practical truths that shape the way we relate to God, the way we grow, the way we mature. Um, and it's one of these, like, if we miss these things, and sometimes there's gaps in our walk with God or there's gaps in our application. So we've heard it and we've sat in church, but we don't actually do it. And if that's the case, then we have a gap in our foundation. And as much as we want to be effective and we want to become more like Jesus, and I hope that is the cry of your heart, that we want to become more like him and we want to have an impact and see his kingdom advance and reach the lost, when there's gaps in our foundation, we end up going around the same mountains again and again. We go like, you know, why why am I not seeing the fruit that, that I see in the Bible? Why am I not seeing the fruit that I might see in other people? Um, and sometimes it's because we've missed some of these things. We hamstring our growth and our maturity and our effectiveness. Um, if you've ever wondered why you seem to go around the same mountain again and again, you know, may- maybe you have a good season and then you end up back in the same place. And you thought, I've already, I thought I got victory over that. Why am I back in this place again? It may be that there's, there's some foundational things missing in your walk with God. There's some disciplines missing. There's some revelation missing, and God wants to fill those things in. Maybe there's heart truths or values. Last week, we started with this question. What's my relationship with the Bible? Is it the standard? Is it the plumb line of truth? Is it the thing which shapes how I live and think and how I relate to God and relate to others? Do you read the Bible? I love love my friend Mohan just shared with me this morning. He said, I, I have always had a Bible next to, next to my bed or next to my chair, and I've never read it. And I listened to your preach. He wasn't here last week, but he listened to it online. He said, I went on Spotify, and on Tuesday this week, I started reading the Bible. And I set my, my clock an hour earlier, and I've read the Bible every day since then. And he said, what you said works. Like, it's changing me. <laughs> so, I mean, that's amazing testimony. Do we ask questions of it? Do we read it? Do we study it? Are we expecting God to speak to us through it? Are we allowing it to transform our lives and our values and how we live? Because if we're not, then can I suggest that you're following your own self-made religion rather than following Jesus? Our question this week is this, following on from what's my relationship with the Bible, is what is my relationship with prayer? What is my relationship with prayer? For a long time in my life, I approached prayer as the last resort the safety net, the fire insurance. If there was a problem I faced or a decision I had to make or a situation that arose, I think about it, I try and figure it out, I try and make a plan and a solution, analyze the options, put something in place to get through that obstacle. And when all else faded, 
because I believed in Jesus, I would pray. When nothing else worked, I'd be like, well, there's, no, there's nothing else here. I, I better pray. Maybe that's been your relationship with prayer. But God challenged me one day with this question. I was worrying about a situation, and the question he asked me wasn't, why haven't you prayed? The question he asked me was, why do you have more faith in yourself than in me? And it cut me to the heart. Who knows when God asks a question that usually reveals our heart? And I realized in that moment that I viewed prayer as a genie in a bottle, a solution to a problem. My lack of prayer revealed my lack of faith in the power and the faithfulness of God. It revealed a lack in my heart. And I realized in that moment that if I truly had faith in the faithfulness of who he was, that prayer should be the first thing in my life, not the last thing. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In verse 19, Jesus goes on to say, but I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There is keys of the kingdom that, that, that unlock the kingdom things in our lives. There's keys in following Jesus that he wants to give us that will unlock his presence and the things of the kingdom in our life. And one of those keys, if not the main key, is prayer. It unlocks the kingdom, the, the rule and reign, the authority of Jesus in our lives and the situations that we face. John Bunyan said this, prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge, a scourge. Scourge, scourge, scourge to Satan. Arthur Hopkins said, our prayer and God's mercy are like two buckets in a well. Well, one ascends, the other descends. To truly grasp the power of prayer, we have to understand what we're created for. It's not just a genie in the bottle. It's not just a tick box thing to get through. And if I, and if I tick that box every day, I'll somehow magically become more like Jesus. We have to understand what we are created for. In Genesis 1, verse 26 to 30, it says that God created us in his image and gave us dominion. Basically, it says this. We were created for both relationship and rulership. God's plan from the very beginning was relationship with us and to give us authority or rulership on the earth. But something happened. We blew it. Sin came in. Sin entered the world. Um, we and that sin caused separation between us and God. And because of our disobedience, we forfeited relationship, but we also forfeited something of the authority and the rulership that he intended for us. In John 14, verse 30, and 16, verse 11, they both refer to Satan now as the ruler of this world. I agree with you. Amen. But God's had, God has this great plan of redemption, and you see it as you read through the Bible, um, that he sends his son, Jesus. He sends his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin and our failure and restore us to relationship with God, which is step one. But then he doesn't stop there. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his very presence to dwell in us, to empower us and help us learn how to walk in rulership again, which is step two. Many of us uh, uh, come to the relationship part and we give our lives to Jesus and we, we say a salvation prayer and we stop at that place. And that's, it's not a bad place, but it just wasn't designed to stop there. Because then he, the, the, his intention is to give us his spirit and then we grow in rulership, to walk in rulership again. We see this rulership in part now, but we'll walk in it fully 
in the new heaven and the new earth that Revelations talks about. So relationship, this is what, what we're created for. So stay with me. We'll get to the prayer. But relationship is all about grace. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's a free gift. We're restored to relationship with, uh, with God through Jesus and what he's done, not by our works. We can't earn it. But rulership or impact or extending the kingdom requires obedience. It requires an action on our part. So relationship, that restoration is free. It's like me handing my son a gift and saying, here you go. And there's nothing he can do to earn it. It's not because he paid for it or he did a job. It's just because I want to give it to him. But rulership, authority, is born out of obedience. It requires action. Without relationship with God, though, there's no rulership with God. Some of us want to walk in the realm of authority, but we've actually neglected the realm of relationship. Some of us want to cast out demons and heal the sick and see God use us, but we're actually not walking in relationship. And the Bible says that many will stand before him and say, we cast out demons in your name and we prophesied in your name. And they'll say, away from me, I never knew you. Talking about intimacy. In the Old Testament, we see the restoration of relationship and rulership as seen in, uh, in the tabernacle and the promised land. The tabernacle was this picture of relation, uh, re- restoration of relationship with God. It's where his presence dwelt. And the promised land was a picture of rulership. In the New Testament, we see this in every person. It's not about a place or a land anymore. It's about a people and a heart. We see it in every person. It's us being restored to relationship with God through Jesus' sacrifice and our rulership being restored as we walk in obedience to God's voice. If we're going to be a praying people, we have to first understand that both relationship and rulership is what God's created us for and is restoring to us through Jesus. And then there's a process to growing in both. So the first area of prayer is relational prayer. And the reason it's the first area of prayer and the reason we pray is not to get what I want, the genie in the bottle mentality. It's to actually grow and be restored in our relationship to God. Relational prayer is how we grow in it. It's communing with God. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 18 in Matthew chapter 6. It says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. That's one of the scariest verses in the Bible, I think. 
And he goes on to say, and when you fast, do not look gloomy, hello, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and are fa- uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. In Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a little bit of rulership prayer in here, but this talking about the secret place is really in the place of relational prayer. This is an every day, every way type of praying at all times without ceasing to be praying. This is what God's teaching the Israelites in the desert when he provides manna for them to eat. Because it can only be collected daily, otherwise it would go off. It's an everyday relationship. It's everyday provisions. Every day coming to him. It's not once a week. It's not, it's not only when I run out. It's, it's this closeness. There's an, there's an intimacy with him that he's trying to teach us through spending time with him, through prayer. Our, rely, our reliance and relationship with God is something to be developed and cultivated constantly. I want to say every day, but even more than every day. It's the intimate expression of our relationship. Talk to God about everything. So I, I, I think we, I don't know, maybe it's because of Sunday school or, you know, the way we grow up and we have this list of things that we need. Maybe a list of things that, people that we want to pray for. And it's always like, like making requests of God rather than walking in relationship with him. And we go, oh, I can't ask God for that. Talk to him about everything. It's not always nice fluffy prayers or requests. <laughs> if you look at, um, look at the Psalms, David pours out his heart to God. He says things like this, why have you forgotten me? My soul is full of trouble. I'm like the dead. Do you really hear me? Those are biblical prayers. He also proclaims the praises of God and his character and his nature. But you can talk to him about everything. There's nothing that's off limits. You can bring your questions to him. You can bring your, 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 your anxiety and your fear because he wants to transform that. Because fear is not in God. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if you're feeling fearful, talk to him about it. When you're wrestling with something, when you're angry, when you're grieving, do we take it to God? Don't rant on social media first. Don't unload on people. Don't, like, talk to everyone around you. Do you go to God first? Do you ask? He he wants your questions, and he wants to answer your questions. He wants relationship with us. His relationship should be number one. You know, when something good or bad happens in your life, you almost always go and tell the most important person in your life. If you're married, it might be your spouse. might be your best friend. Uh, you know, it might be someone who you're close to. You're like, oh, this happened. You won't believe it. Or I'm going through this hard time. Can you stand with me? That should be God. Even before your spouse, even before your best friend, he should be our best friend. The very first person we should celebrate with, the very first person we should bring our questioning to is the Lord. Before we bring it to others, because actually, he so often gives us his perspective and changes our hearts. And we suddenly realize, oh my gosh, like, uh, you know, th- there's a different perspective and there's a different heart in this. Rather than unloading on people around us, and then later on God changes our perspective, but now they're stuck in that place. of like, oh, I don't know. 
Relational prayer, talking to God, helps us grow in the restoration of our relationship with him. The more we talk to someone, the more time you spend with them, the closer you feel to them, the more you get to know them. How much time do you spend talking to God and getting to know him? Do you know his voice? One of our, one of our weeks later on in the series is going to be, how do we hear God's voice? Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. You know, when they're, when they're training people to, to detect counterfeit notes, they only ever look at real notes. They don't study counterfeit notes. You, they, they look at hundreds and thousands and millions of real notes, real bank notes, so that when they see something, they might not even realize why it's counterfeit. They might not be able to identify, but they just know it's not real. Do we spend so much time with God in prayer? Do we know his voice that as soon as we hear something else, we might not even be able to identify why it's not right, but we know that's not the voice of God? The second area of prayer is rulership prayer. Matthew 18, verse 18 says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, it, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is talking in the context of prayer. In Ezekiel 22, God says he's looking for someone who would stand in the gap. The picture is this. There's a wall of defense, like around a city. And the, the, the part of the wall has been broken down. And if that part of the wall has been broken down, then there's a vulnerability. And he's looking, he says, I'm looking for someone who will stand in that gap, like where they would bring the army to stand in that place to defend the city. Part of the restoration of our dominion, our rulership, our authority is partnering with God in prayer. Prayer releases God to do what he's purposed to do. Prayer allows us to become preemptive rather than just reactive. If you find yourself always reacting to what's happening around you, can I suggest that maybe we need to develop a habit and a discipline of spending more time in prayer, both relationally and in rulership, because it allows us to become preemptive. It allows God to stir our heart and say, pray into this area. And pray into that. That's not to say that nothing ever happens that, that surprises us. But we become more of a preemptive people. Rulership prayer is from the place of relationship and intimacy that we step into that authority. When we pray for our spouse, our spouses or our families or people that we have contact with or into the situations in people's lives, when we pray for cities, when we pray for nations, when we pray for conflicts, it releases the presence and the power of God to work. Is your first response prayer? If it's not, then can I suggest that maybe our faith is in something else? What should our response as believers be to any situation? Pray. When we see things going on in the world, what do we do? Ah, no, we pray. Do we rant and rave? No, we pray. Do we protest? No, we pray. Do we throw all our toys out the cot? No, we pray. Jesus is the answer. If you don't believe Jesus is the answer, then you're not following Jesus. Can I be that blunt? If you don't believe Jesus is the answer to every problem, then you got to come back to this and come back to him. 
Without prayer, we become reactive Christians. We resort to our own strength. We react to situations. We react to problems. And at best, we can try to be there for people or try to be there for that situation and help them ourselves. But often we're actually putting our faith in ourselves rather than in Jesus. There's a lot of believers around the world that are actually just putting their faith in themselves and trying their best with good hearts to help. But actually they need to go to him in prayer because he's able. Acts says they devoted themselves to prayer when they, get, uh, when they had gathered together to pray. When we come together to pray, because Jesus also talks about this rulership prayer uh, in the context of gathering together. So there's like relational prayer, it's intimacy, it's me and God. And then through me, there's, there, there's a restoration of authority um, and rulership. But he also talks about us coming together to pray. Why? I don't know. I think there's a, like, it stirs our faith. Maybe there's an increased power when we come together. Uh, he doesn't say why, he just says to do it. He says this is a good thing. This is there's a kingdom advancement. If we really believe that his ways are best, then this is something that we need to put into our lives, that we need to devote ourselves to it. Um, when, we, when they came together to pray, it wasn't relational prayer. It wasn't just, uh, just you know, everyone prays my own individual things. God, change me. Lord, let me know you. Um, you know, so, sort of silent prayer request. No, it was taking ground. It was advancing the kingdom. Um, it, it's not just growing closer to him. And of course, you, you can and should pray rulership prayers on your own. But Matthew 18 shows us that there's a power when we come together. There's a release of the kingdom when we come together to pray. Same as when we come together to worship. You can worship on your own. You should be worshiping on your own. But there's something that happens when we come together to bring him glory and lift, lift him up. There's something that happens when we come together to pray and, you know, and we're hearing God and we're responding. We're praying what's on his heart together. There's, there's a power that's released. Rulership prayer is partnering with God to pray what's on his heart, to release him to move. Finally, there's a third area of prayer that I think we never, um, never, we don't often uh, get into or speak into. We, we, you know, we, we, we get the intimacy and we get the authority, but it's this thing that we're called to travail in prayer. It's this idea that we don't just pray once and forget. It's not, a, it's not a set and forget thing. But we pray until there's a breakthrough. And as I was preparing for this, I actually thought, you know what? It'd be great to have Paul Zanotto speak into this point. Because he is a man of travailing prayer. I think I also can travail in prayer. But I also think it's good to hear a different voice. So I've asked Paul to come. So can you just welcome Paul this morning? He's going to speak into this point. There's relational prayer, there's rulership prayer. Now we have this travailing prayer. What is travailing prayer? It's a deep inner groaning, interceding and supplication in prayer. If you were here on Sunday night for the more night, we had two people during that night who were travailing, deeply wailing in prayer. John 16, 20, 22 says this. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into 
joy. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born. Therefore, you know, now you have a sorrow, but you will rejoice again. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that there was a grieving that, that for a season he would go. But the joy would come when there is Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit would come. Travailing prayer is a manifestation of the grief of the heart of the Father through us and in us. Number one, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. So we communicate what's on the heart of the Father. Travailing prayer has been so in tune and so close to the Father that we feel the grief for what is on the heart of the Father. The Father hates sin and He hates the brokenness in our individual lives, our church and corporately. Travailing prayer is coming in agreement in the Spirit with communicating in prayer, God, God, this has to stop. It's actually tears, tears. And tears start in travailing prayer start when sometimes we come and give our lives to Jesus. I've seen hundreds of people coming to the Lord and they are weeping before the Lord. That's travailing prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and now I embrace a new life. Another truth that is so also that God uses our hearts and our emotions to communicate His heart to other people. And we communicate this deeply. Travailing prayer, when we have a burden for others, a burden for the nations. Reinhard Bonnke, an incredible German evangelist, went to Africa. He would weep for hours, give me a blood-washed Africa. Imagine what would happen if you and I were people of travailing prayer, give me a blood-washed Australia. Hours and hours of travailing the deep prayer, God, wash our church, forgive our iniquities that we would see Australia return to you. There is another kind of weeping and crying, but it's in the flesh. Oh, God, give me. Oh, God, give me. And we're always moaning before God, which leads me into point number three. Don't moan, groan. How's that on the way to church today? Hashtag. It says in Psalm 126 that sorrow and tears shall reap joy. Romans 8.26, it's a scripture that the Lord has been speaking to me lately. And it says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for or what we ought to. Have you ever been like that? You want to pray? You just don't know what to say. What to say. And I believe that for us as a church and our nation, that we are moving into this place of travailing prayer. All revivals, all moves of God have come because men and women have found themselves kind of weeping before the Lord. Lord, will your kingdom come? Your will be done. I love what Matt said. We make decisions first, and then if it doesn't happen, we go to prayer. God's calling the church, pray in all occasions, in all times. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groans that we cannot be uttered. I've been around people uh, on deathbed or people who are interceding for people who are dying or people who are sick or a, or a rebellious child and there's groaning, oh God, God, mercy. That is how we should be. 
you and I should be people of, of such a proximity to the heart of God. Sorry about that. Such a proximity that when he grieves, we grieve. When he laughs, we laugh. And the Holy Spirit groans where there's no words, but it's just that raw relationship with the Father. God, my child. God, my marriage. God, my finances. God, revival. God. And we are just before that. We should be known as people of travail prayer, travailing prayer. Now, he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I love this. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, my spirit is connected to the Spirit of the living God. And so I am direct dial with the Father. What's on his heart should always be on my heart. It starts with personal prayer and then the powerful prayer. And now we can intercede from a place of proximity. Proximity with God. And He intercedes. He puts on our heart. He puts a burden for people. Have you ever found yourself sometimes, why is this name always on my, on my dial? Why, why am I waking up? That is God putting a burden upon you. Just a word of caution. That sometimes we feel kind of depressed in our hearts. And I use that word very lightly. We feel the burden on our hearts for that person. Can I say, it's not to have a burden so we get flat. It's a burden so we return into joy. So when we pray for people, when we intercede for people, when we are travailing in prayer, it's not so we go down there, but we bring them up here in the presence of God. Amen. Because it's so easy, people who kind of intercessory kind of gifting, which I think it's for all of us. It's not an office. All of us are intercessory prayer warriors. But don't come down there, we come back here, the place of joy. As a mum gives birth to a baby, so in travailing prayer, we bring glory back to the Lord. Let me just bring the last point. The purpose of travailing prayer. Travailing prayer produces spiritual children and maturity. Isaiah 66, 8. For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth children. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And so when we pray, it's so to bring maturity. When we travail in prayer, it's so we see growth in people. When we travail in prayer for revival, it's so a nation stops being immature and in the hands of Satan and we bring it back into God. I want to ask you a question before Matt comes back up. Are you a woman or a man of travailing prayer? Remember Romans 8, there is no condemnation. But I want to challenge us in this season. Now is the time to come to a place of learning the art of travailing prayer. When your heart is soft in relationship with God, when you get a heart for others, when you get a heart for the burden of others, then you start travailing until something happens. Travailing prayer has this acronym, PUSH. Pray until something happens. Amazing. If you've ever been in a birthing suite, if you haven't, you can talk to Bethany about it. It is not quiet. Even, there comes a point that even the most quiet Bethany was saying this to me the other day. I was asking her. Even the most quiet, soon-to-be mothers, mothers, 
There comes a point where you can't be quiet, where it's like, they're like, push, and they're like, ah! I mean, she's nodding. She's a midwife. There is a point when we are in a place of intimacy with God, and we understand that he's restoring authority and rulership, and we get his heart that we begin to travail to the point of breakthrough. You can't stop labor once it started. There's something that when we get the heart of God, you can't stop until that thing is birthed. And there's an, I, I think it's a place of maturity as believers when we realize God, God burdens us to pray until there's a breakthrough. He burdens us to pray until there's a release. When we get his heart. There's a song uh, that... It was Brooke Frazier, who's now Brooke Leiterwood, wrote um, Hosanna. And the, the bridge, part of the bridge says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. Is that our cry? Lord, break my heart. Not just, Lord, give me what I want. Make me comfortable. No, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me your heart for the lost. Give me your heart for the broken, that I would travail, that I would find myself weeping, not out of sorrow, but because there's there's brokenness that you want to restore. That I would find myself crying out with words that are unintelligible. I'd, I'd, I'd be interceding in the Spirit until there's breakthrough, until there's a burden that we feel lifted off of us in our prayer gatherings as a church. Do we come just to pray nice prayers and be blessed or to pray and travail until there's a breakthrough and there's a release in the heavenlies? So how do we respond today? I think there's a cry of our hearts that should be, Lord, give me your heart. I want to challenge you with some just really simple things to take away. Set your heart to pray. Make time to pray. Like we said last week with reading the Bible, it won't just magically happen. Just set aside time. The relational thing, you can do that all the time, but there is a time of intimacy. It's not just like, I mean, you can talk to God in the car and in the shops and all the time and just, but those, the, you know, the, the clarity in that time is born out of the quiet time with him. You know, why do people say have a quiet time? It doesn't have to be quiet. It could be loud. But it's like a time where there's no other distractions. Develop a habit of prayer. It just takes discipline. Sometimes we fall asleep when we pray. That's okay. I heard someone say, uh, sometimes I fall asleep when I read the Bible or when I pray. And they said, uh, they said this, um, that's okay because sons and daughters often fall asleep in their father's lap. And, and fathers don't, don't mind. The father doesn't mind. But when you wake up, you know, if, if you're always just asleep, you're not praying or reading your Bible, just so you know. <laughs> and learn to travail in prayer. Say yes to the journey of prayer and the growth of prayer. Can we stand together this morning? I want us to do two things this morning. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Melbourne Lights Church. Um, You're going to have to get involved. 
The first thing is I want to pray for us. That we would have the heart of, heart of the Father. The second thing is this, and don't freak out and run away. But I actually want us to pray for each other. We're talking about prayer, there's, got, there's an activation. We don't just come to shake our heads and go, that was great, and go away and do nothing about it. So after I pray for us, I want to ask you in groups of like two or three most. Because they don't, uh, you know, not forever. But just to ask someone who's around you, say it's a group of three, what's one thing we can pray for? To pray for them right now, but also write it down and go pray for them this week. Not just to go, hey, it's a, it's a set and forget. But I'm going to pray for you in this thing because we're, we're a priesthood of all believers. This is not, you know, the pastor will pray for you. It's we will pray for each other. We'll travail together. But can we first respond to him before we minister to others? Let's minister to him. Lord, we want to be a people of your heart and a people of your presence. That we would so know your voice that when anything inauthentic speaks, we would run. We would know it. Lord, right now, I pray that we would be a people of prayer, of intimacy of authority, and of travailing. Lord, help us to grow into the maturity of prayer. Lord, not, not for what we can get, but for your glory, and for your kingdom, and for those that don't know you yet, and for freedom for the captives, and for healing, and for breakthrough. Lord, we truly say this morning, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, give me your heart. Give us your heart, Lord. Everything we are, Lord, we lay ourselves this morning upon the altar. We lay our desires upon the altar. We lay our callings, our, 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 our perceived callings, our real callings upon the altar, our dreams upon the altar. We say, all for your glory. All for your glory, Lord. Have your way. King of glory, have your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before you go, you can, <laughs> you can clap. Give Jesus a hand. Before we go, groups of two or three, can you pray for somebody? Can you ask them? What's one thing I can pray for? You might be freaking out right now. That's totally okay. But we're going to activate this because it's not okay to not pray. There's your second hashtag for the morning. The first one is um, don't moan, groan. The other one is it's not okay to not pray. Cool. You guys are amazing. We love you. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.